Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about the tricks of a lead carpenter with the help of special guest, Doug Horgan of BOA in McLean, Virginia. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host, Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey, everyone. Tim Fowler here, and welcome to another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. As we always do, we encourage you to send in ideas. Um... It could be about construction. Maybe you want me to talk about something that'll just make your life a little bit easier, but I'd love to hear from you. Send them to Tim at RemodelersAdvantage.com. So uh, roughly 34 years ago, I went to work for a company in Potomac, Maryland that used the lead carpenter system for job management. So in honor of our 200th episode, I'm going back to my roots and I'm going to be talking about the lead carpenter system. Now, when I joined Hopkins and Porter in Potomac, Maryland, I had no idea what the lead carpenter system was. It was kind of in its infancy. It was a system that I believe was started by Walt Stuppelworth, who in, was in the Washington, D.C. area. And I believe uh, Case Remodeling Design uh, was using it. Uh, a lot of the companies in that area uh, were using it. And it turns out that it was the best thing I could have ever done. Go to work for Hopkins and Porter and take a look at this uh, lead carpenter system. I've told a lot of people uh, as, uh, as I've gone through my work that my boss volunteered me to uh, help the local Nary chapter put together a training program for uh, lead carpenters. And my first reaction was, what do I know about that? And he goes, oh, you'll be fine. You know, you'll be do well. Well, it turns out that I took to it like yellow jackets on a soda can at a picnic. I was, uh, I just, I just loved it. I loved talking about it. I loved sharing information. And so I didn't know that this would happen at that time, but I became, I guess, the spokesperson for this system basically speaking all over the country for uh, the idea of the lead carpenter system. And then as companies matured and developed, obviously uh, some companies are still using that. Many have switched over to a project manager model. Many of them have uh, dual systems where they have project managers and lead carpenters. So the way I like to talk about it is I'd like to say I gave the lead carpenter system some legs. And so uh, that's the way I look at it. And so what's kind of fun about today is that our guest was one of those people that was in one of the early times that I started talking about the lead carpenter system. And I just recently had the opportunity to hear him speak about it at the JLC live show in Providence, Rhode Island in March of 2022. And uh, I was very impressed with some of the little things that they're doing at BOA. And I said, man, I got to have him on the show. And like I said, it just works out well that this is our 200th show. So, Steve, let's get going. 
All right. So Doug Horgan often says he has the best job ever, and he is the vice president, best practices at BOA, the Washington, D.C. area's premier customer modeling builder. In this training, quality, and troubleshooting role, Doug's goal is reducing construction defects through sharing knowledge. Doug started as a laborer and worked as a lead carpenter for 10 years, then ran the warranty and handy repairs group for another decade before moving into the best practices role. Doug's 30 years of tools-on carpentry, warranty troubleshooting, and instruction experience along with thousands of photos, are the foundations for visually rich presentations on how to build well and avoid construction problems. Welcome to the show, Doug. Thanks, guys. Nice to be here. So this is kind of fun. I can indicate it in my, my introduction. It's fun to have you on as a member of one of my seminars years ago, but also then as someone who is talking about it to this generation, about how to use this lead carpenter system. And as I indicated in the introduction, I just loved some of the subtleties, the little things that you brought to the table uh, during that presentation. And we'll get to those a little bit more, but give us a little bit more information about BOA, size of the company, maybe the style of production. It, it, it feels to me like you probably have project managers as well as lead carpenters, but just give us a little bit about how that actually runs at BOA. Sure. So we have a, about a hundred people right now. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. We, have, uh, <laughs> we normally run around 20 projects at a time. Uh, each project has a dedicated person. We call them a project manager. They're, they're akin to a lead carpenter. They're the one person who knows the most about that project. There's a, we have six uh, production managers, we call them who handle a lot of the other details on the job and do a lot of the procurement and negotiation on the jobs. So they're kind of like a project manager, but right. obviously yeah. we have a full-time person on site, so they don't do a lot of the things a project manager has to do. Right. So that's how we have the production set up. Um, you know, we also have a number of project leaders or salespeople who run the design process. Uh, right. About a third of our design is done in-house and two thirds is done with outside of the company designers. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah, that's that's cool. So it sounds to me, if I can just translate a little bit, it sounds like what you call a production manager is what many people call a project manager and that they do a lot of the the sort of uh, management stuff. And then mm -hmm. your project manager is on site running the job, tools on, that sort of thing. Uh, yes, uh, for the most part. Now, we also do some very large jobs. So we have a a number of our project managers are not tools on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. So our, our average job size is well into the hundred thousands. Yeah. Uh, and we've, we've run, you know, a lot of seven and a few eight figure jobs as well. Okay. Wow. Eights, man, that's, <laughs> that's a big number. <laughs> wow. I just had to react to that. So a little bit more about your role. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you do? Are you uh, like doing research and then putting together training for your team? This yeah, sounds like a, a very cool, cool position. It's a great question. Well, it's, I mean, I've been doing it for a while. So yes, there's, there's definitely research. In fact, today uh, I looked up, I think three different things for different people. I, I kind of think of it as uh, like a, an internal help desk sort of thing okay. is my, is one of my primary roles. Um, wow. You know, it's hard to run a project. It's hard to it's hard to run a seven hundred thousand dollar project by yourself. Keep everyone on in line. 
figure out all the weird little things. Every project is a prototype, you know, it's all custom construction. So there's always a bunch of little corners and connections and, and things you've never done before. Um, Usually our company has done them and usually we've done them enough that we even know what things to look out for and, you know, how, how to make it fail if you really want it to. Uh, So it's, it's good for whatever reason or reasons I'm, I find this stuff endlessly fascinating. Uh, when I was doing our warranty group um, and our handy person group, we, it, that's the same team, but, you know, we got to see thousands upon thousands of little failures of one kind or another, whether it was stuff that we had built or more often it's, you know, we do a kitchen and then something else goes wrong and they call us for that. So we got to learn a lot and yeah, I, could, I think it can be very helpful for folks um, while they're busy trying to wrangle the six subcontractors who are or are not there, um, I can be working on the flashing detail for the flat roof to the window or whatever the heck it is. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's a very, very unique role that most companies either don't have the volume to support or have never even thought that they needed somebody like that. So there's something about this podcast that some of the larger companies that listen in may may think that, wow, that's a cool idea. So that, that's, that's very good. So at your presentation uh, at the JLC Live Show, you kind of started with this slide that said, um, you are the one that cares most about this project. And so give us a little bit more about how you, um, what you were trying to get across when you were saying that. Well, f- first of all, uh, th- I mean, that- that is the one thing that I remember from taking that class with you 30 something years ago, which it's amazing. I remember anything, let's be honest. <laughs> um, it, it, and and I, when you said that, it was, it was really helpful for me to understand, you know, sort of the, the role that I should be trying to play. Um, everyone else is doing their best to contribute what they can, but at the end of the day, nobody, you know, everyone else has other things they're busy with. If I want my project to work, if I want to get everything done when I'm supposed to, if I don't want to have failures later, that's really on my shoulders. Uh, and, and I think another aspect of it that you talked about at the time was that you, um, you pointed out that you don't just have to manage the people you're officially in charge of managing, right? I'm supposed to manage the carpenters and subcontractors and everyone else who's there. I also have to find a way to manage the clients and my boss and the designer to get what I need from them for the project. And so it's, you know, I'm not ordering them around. I'm not ordering anyone around, but uh, the, the idea that the person who's in charge of the project, the lead carpenter has to handle all that stuff was really helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's one of those challenges that, uh, I put out now, one of the things I'm really sensitive to now is that I spend a lot of time talking about how you need to care and that sometimes people just don't care. You know, they don't care about what that other person cares about. So one of my things now is just the client experience and do we really care about what they experience, right? And, and yeah. that sort of thing. So that's, that's cool. That's a great, I'm glad you remembered at least something from, yeah, from way yeah. back. You know, that's I, good. I remember a couple other things. Yeah. You made a good joke about uh, when we were talking about safety, you said, what does it say on the top two steps of every step ladder? Right. And <laughs> right. we everyone just started laughing right then. 
Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, do not like, yeah, stand on I was on standing it. on one of those steps yesterday that says don't stand on. Yeah. 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 I know. I know. It's that's, that's the way it is with us. So yeah. there were essentially four big points that you made during this presentation. I'd like to kind of dig into each one just a little bit. So the first one was just that the lead carpenter is responsible for or controls the scheduling of, of the job. And so obviously this is really important. Now, why do you think it's so important in terms of emphasizing that to the lead carpenters? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. I think, uh, and, and that does vary um, with where you, how your company's running things. But um, I mean, construction jobs are sequential. Sometimes you can mess around with that a little bit, but big picture, they're sequential. And they're typically worked on by multiple different groups of people and you got to get everyone in line to get things to happen when they're supposed to. So I, I do think it's one of the key management tools is having a schedule, paying attention to the schedule and doing the things you need to do to make the schedule happen, which that's something that I picked on much later. Uh, you know, I, I had uh, initially been brought up to understand how Gantt schedules worked. Um, right. That was something that Boa was doing on our one computer when I joined in 1989. <laughs> that was, they, they considered that sort of rocket science level remodeling. Right. Yeah. 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 So having a Gantt schedule is actually very helpful, especially for someone new because it helped me understand what the heck was going to go on. But uh, as you know, having a schedule and getting everything you need to make that schedule happen are two different things. So I, that's, a, that's the point I emphasize to people now is um, it's not just that we're hoping to get the plumbers here. We have to have all the fixtures that they need. We have to have the layouts that they need to install them on, you know, the shower, where's everything going. All that stuff has to be there at that, at that point. So what do you think is the key? I, you probably remember Mark Scott from uh, Mark Four Builders yeah, here, and, and um, Kevin John. But he he called me up one day and asked me, like, what do you think is the most important thing about a schedule? And so I'm just going to ask you, like, what do you think is what's the key to not only maybe putting it together? That's one thing, but maybe another thing is actually making it work. I mean, from my perspective. I had a lot more trouble with making it work than putting it together. Right. Um, I'll just, I'll just say that. Uh, yeah. I think me, everybody does. That's probably right. Just, you know, when I'm talking to someone new and, and everyone does this at Bella, we, we say, you know, it's not, it's not enough to send this out to the drywall contractor at the beginning of the job. You need to call them a month ahead. Nowadays, it's might even be six weeks ahead, four weeks ahead, two weeks ahead, one week ahead. And you really have to keep people up to date that, that you're expecting to be on the job. So I, I would say that's probably the number one recommendation that we have for our folks is contact all the subcontractors frequently and keep them in line. And then, especially nowadays, whenever there's a boom cycle, we try to be more flexible. If the drywallers want to come, well, they can't come early because we have to pass inspections. But you know, if the if one of the rough trades, the plumbers or HVAC people wants to come early or has to come late, we just got to deal with that and. We want to fit everybody in the best we can, keep everyone from stepping on each other's toes, literally, and get everything done. So what are, are there any tools, particularly you mentioned the Gantt chart, mm -hmm. are there any tools that you think are really helpful other than just the computer per se 
that might help a company in terms or a lead carpenter in terms of scheduling and then obviously staying on schedule? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the, the things that we've found the most successful is having a paper calendar of some of some description on your, you know, your job site workspace, which, which may or may not be a desk or some tiny little corner, um, or your front seat of your vehicle. Um, yeah, I think, um, I don't think a lot of our stuff is done on computer. Once a job starts, it's, it's mostly paper. So, and then, and then it really depends on the size of the project. Um, yeah. Sometimes, uh, you know, a minimum is two weeks ahead. Um, as I said, in this boom time, I think we're trying to have, we're trying to know what's going on six weeks ahead at a minimum. Uh, that gives you a chance to order stuff that should have taken two days and instead is going to take three weeks. Right. Right. Yeah. I've been with a couple of different companies over the last three or four weeks. And one of the big things that came out of the discussion was the, the, the crew that's building the project is saying, we need paper. We, we need paper. And, and it, the frustration of trying to find it in a computer, even a well-organized computer, you know, a lot of them are looking at it on a, on a um, camera or yeah. on a phone, you know, and it's just like they, they want paper. And I think uh, that's a big message to get out to business owners and managers that, that paper is important. And besides all that, we want to support the lumbermen of Northern Maine, because if we... <laughs> Do away with using paper. A lot of them will lose their jobs. So we want to make sure they keep in business. So, okay, cool. So then the second thing that you had, you mentioned in the, in the training was planning and operation tools. Okay. I'm a, and, and these differ a little bit from the, uh, from the scheduling side of it. But one of the things that kind of caught my eye was this phrase or this, these three words, make ready planning. Mm-hmm. So what, what is that in your mind? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I'll just say that that phrase comes from the Lean Construction Institute and their group of practices and training, um, which I took a little bit of and found to be uh, fascinating and kind of clarified a lot of my thinking. But most of their tools and practices are really aimed at much larger projects than, than even right. what we do. Right. Um, so they didn't end up being super relevant, but I did that. That's kind of the concept I've been saying. It's, you, it's not just enough to try to get uh, people on site to do stuff. There's, there's always the information and the materials that you also need uh, to have, to be ready. And that to me, that's what made ready planning is that was the sort of missing thing. When I looked at the schedule, I knew I had to have the plumbers there, but I sometimes, it was sometimes after they arrived that we would start looking around and realize we didn't have a shower layout or whatever it was. Right. Um, So, so is there any particular way that you train your lead carpenters, your project managers now, and the way that you did it when you were a lead, is there any particular thing that you do that kind of helps you with that make ready planning? Uh, no, I wish. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's, it's, it, I think the concept is if the, if you don't have all the information and materials here, the, in addition to the actual people, then it's, you're not, you're not ready to proceed. So um, unfortunately I don't, don't have a great answer for whether there's some substitute for experience. Um, you know, one of, one of my other roles and the production manager's roles is to visit the job sites all the time. Um, 
And we're trying to always look out for this kind of stuff and help people be ready for things. Just double check whether it's on the plans or not. And that sort of thing. Okay, cool. All right. Um, so when you are visiting the job site, do you have a, a common cadence that you use every time? Is it a checklist? What's that process look like? Uh, mine is uh, mine is very straightforward. It's kind of what are we doing right now and what are we planning to do in the next week or two? When, and let's talk about those phases of work. Um, I kind of have a mental checklist of, of the things that I want to be want to help people be looking out for. And in particular, um, you know, there's a few quality points for say tiled showers or for steep slope roofs, um, for some of the more complicated stuff, I'll ask them to set up a meeting between me and the subcontractor, uh, before we start a low slope roof or before we start masonry, because we're trying to actually get through flashing done correctly. And it's kind of a new thing for a lot of masons. So, uh, that kind of, that, that's how I do my stuff. It's, it's just two simple steps, but then it, it ramifies out into a lot of little details. I know the production managers have a much more structured, um, agenda that they follow. They, yeah. you know, at least once a week, they're checking in on scheduling and they're talking through any other stuff. And we do weekly client meetings as well. So they participate in those with the homeowners and the production leads. seems like a second set of eyes for each other. On, on different roles that you guys are doing. So when, you know, it seems like there, there's quite a blanket in terms of your role on what you're looking for. But when you look at construction defects, I mean, flashing is probably the one that is probably often overlooked or not done correctly and can, you know, give the biggest problems or, or worst results down the road. But is there other things that you just see are common mistakes that may show up for a new carpenter or a new team member, things like that in the field? Uh, you know, I kind of have a personal list of, of uh, common defects. I know one, one weird thing is uh, we're still having trouble getting the correct nails into framing hangers. Uh, <laughs> ever since Simpsons switched from yeah. just, just put these 10 penny nails in all the holes to some of the holes now need 16 penny nails. You know, it's gotten really weird. Um, yeah. It's stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We have, cool. it's, it's a long list. Unfortunately. That's probably all driven by the hurricanes of South Florida and uh, heavy winds and yeah. things like that. So uh, yeah, I'm sure it's better theoretically. Yeah. I was thinking when you were talking about flashing, I was just thinking water in general. Yeah. You know, that, that seems to be one. the most corrosive thing that happens to our projects is water gets in some place and whether it's from a shower or a tub or a pipe that sweats behind the walls or freezes and breaks, or that seems to be uh, insulation. The, yeah. yeah, the biggest challenge that we have. And um, I agree with that. We've yeah. we, um, we've done pretty well. We've done pretty well. It's um, we we've just about gotten rid of shower leaks, frozen pipes, and roof leaks. Yeah. Um, as I said, we're still, we're still working on our masons. Um, and of course things change, you know, particularly in roofing and some of the other trades, there's high turnover. And so you're kind of reeducating different people, different times. Um, it is, it's such a joy when you, when you meet someone who has a lot of experience and is really careful and thorough. Um, 
but we gotta we gotta work with who shows up. So that's what we do. All right. So the third thing you mentioned, and I, I guess this is a, a place where I just my eyes lit up. I just loved this part of your presentation was the organized job site. Mm-hmm. And I would love it if you would just talk a little bit about the signs that you guys use on your job site. Cause it felt like, you know, like I've always talked about like a sign hanging on the wall inside. And it just mm-hmm. felt like you've got like a whole series of signs and different things. And so maybe a little bit behind if they're different for each job, what's mm-hmm. the thinking about it from the job site perspective and what are some of those signs that you you talked about specifically in the in the presentation? Well, I'm really excited that you picked up on that because I think these signs are just the greatest thing. And it seems like such a simple, it seems like such a dumb thing, but yeah, yes, so it we, does. We, but we, um, in addition to a site sign that has our company name, that's sort of you know for marketing, we have uh, w- there's three signs that we have on every job. They say um, all contractors must check in with project manager no smoking. And, uh, it'd be bad. This would be much better if I remembered the third one, but there's a third one. <laughs> there's definitely a third one. Um, and then we, we also, we make little special custom signs for each job site. We just have an account with a sign company and they're, they're like 30 or 40 bucks each. Um, so we've done ones that say, you know, do not feed the cat, uh, do not open the door. Dog will escape. Um, you know, no parking in driveway only park in driveway. There are a lot of times we actually reach out to all the neighbors and we're trying not to make them mad on week one. So we'll put up signs that say no BOA parking in this area if they don't want us parking in front of their house Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. So stuff like that. And I think, um, you know, when you walk on the site, it's just, to me, it gives you this really good impression that people care about what happens on this job site, uh, if nothing else. Uh, and, and so I, I think it's really cool when you, when you see three, four or five of these, as you're walking in, it's just a different kind of job site than one with nothing but a bunch of lumber laying around on the ground. So I'm just sort of sitting here thinking about like, Hmm, what would be a good sign? Maybe crazy client beware or, uh, yeah, that, that would work. <laughs> or, or do, do not poke the client or something like that. That would be, uh, it would be kind of, you know, obviously I'm joking everybody out yeah. there, you know, don't just say, oh, Tim said to put one of these up. <laughs> but I did love the signs and I, I love the idea that it was more than just one, you know, but it was something that would particularly apply uh, to the job. The thing, one of the things, again, that client experience thing, I think by putting a sign up that says, um, you know, don't let the cat out or something like that tells the client that you're paying attention to what they already said. And I think that's a huge, I mean, publicly, it's a public, like we're aware of this. And so I think that's a, a, a great thing in terms of just the client experience and the way that um, clients are going to see the company. That's the impression I get too. It's just, uh, it's a surprising difference. Yeah. So there was a couple other little things you did. I remember, one of the things you pointed out was like storage on site. And mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that in terms of an organizational strategy for a lead carpenter. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we've all walked onto a job site and there's kind of stuff laying all over the place, fixtures of various kinds and just kind of randomly. Sometimes they're, some of them are in the room and then, then the painters move them and the drywall people move, you know, everything just gets slid around and covered with dust and debris. Uh, 
I think on our best sites and, and I think but when you're starting to run a, like a seven bathroom job, there's no way to do it without being thorough with your organizational scheme. Uh, our best systems are when we create a sort of a locked space, which sometimes is just an existing room in the basement when we're doing a right. remodel. Just throw a lock on the door, put up some of those plastic Home Depot shelves, or we used to knock something out out of two by fours before they cost more than platinum. But yeah. those were the days. Anyway, um, you know, you can label each area with which bathroom it is and put all the things there. It helps you sort it out. It helps the plumbers find it without taking a ton of your time. And you know, keeping a lock on it prevents a lot of damage and stuff like that. So that's, that's what we do on our bigger jobs for sure. Sometimes, you know, there's a lot of jobs we work on. We just don't have that room. We do condo renovations, but we do the best we can to do this, something along those lines. Yeah. One of the best lead carpenters I ever worked with there in, in Maryland, he had a set of wooden shelves that were only about four feet tall. There were probably four shelves on it. Mm-hmm. And we would cart that from job to job. And he had a microwave on the top shelf, mm-hmm. and a coffee mm-hmm. maker on the top shelf. My first reaction to that was, he'd be drinking too much coffee. But reality was, he brought his lunch. Mm-hmm. And he was there. He didn't have to go out for lunch. But then the rest of the shelf was all fasteners mm-hmm. and little things that he liked to have on the job. And he knew exactly where it was. And I'm going to tell you, he was one of the most efficient effective lead partners we had on our team. He, he and might I, be working for us right now. I can nah, have a couple guys like that. Well, yeah. he might be. I, may, I shouldn't say his name without having permission. <laughs> no, to we'll that. have to talk about <laughs> it. But uh, I know he went out on his own at one point and okay. probably is still doing that or is retired somewhere. But, um, mm. uh, but anyway, so yeah, organization is huge and leads can get a lot, uh, be a lot more efficient by being more organized. And then the last, um, section was just about the client relationship and communication. Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, the, the words respect and empathy uh, came out, again, really strongly to me. And I'd like you to just talk about that from the perspective of a lead carpenter. How do you generate empathy? Because I think about like, we do this all the time and we, we breathe dust and we get dirty and there's noise and there's you know, all this stuff. And we just kind of go, Hey, you want your house remodeled or not? You know, it's like, um, <laughs> maybe not enough empathy. So if you mm. talk about that, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I think we hire for that. I don't okay. have a lot of, I don't have a lot of guys saying it's not, it's not my issue. If I got <laughs> dust all over your house, it's right. uh, or, or women, we have, you know, definitely have, uh, yeah. all kinds of folks working for us anyway. Um, other yeah, than I, men, think, I do think that's those men are the and keys. women, you've got other kinds. Just <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, had to pull that in there. <laughs> you know, I think there's 27 genders now, Tim. Oh, okay. Um. Anyway, there's. Uh, I mean, I, I think I'm. I'm not. I would not say that I personally am spectacular at this aspect of the work and uh but i've so i've tried to spend a fair amount of time (laughs) getting better at it right um and and i'm not sure if i picked this up from you know that book uh difficult conversations or from one of the negotiating books i read but it's really really difficult you you are establishing a relationship with your clients uh whether you know whether that's your long-term goal or not it's it's a, a marriage of convenience while you're in their house all the time and it's impossible to have a good relationship without respect. 
And it's uh, very difficult to have a productive one without empathy. So I just found myself, you know, I think, uh, I think when, when I was younger, I'm, I'm not sure where I got these ideas from, but, you know, maybe you watch a lot of movies are about very in, intense conflicts and, and people are doing a lot of posturing and shouting and, and, right. you know, as you know, and of course, high school is a total nightmare of that kind of crap. Um, <laughs> When you get out in the real world, like the, the idea that someone would actually be yelling at someone in a work scenario is just extremely bizarre almost. It's like the, the, this is something that we all talk about for months afterward if it ever happens. And it just so, uh, I mean, uh, just turning up those dials of, of empathy and respect has really gone a long way. Like I said, I'm not I'm not very good at a lot of this stuff, but that's very, very helpful for me. So the respect, is it is it like just respect that this is another human being. And so therefore I, I respect them for who they are, or is it respect for the fact that they've made a million or 2 million or 5 million in some, uh, in my opinion, obscure way of doing it. And so I need to respect them because they made a lot of money. What, what, what is this respect based in? Do you think? Well, I don't think it's too much to say that just any, person deserves to be respected. And, uh, yeah. you know, um, I'll just say I've, I've, uh, had the chance to work with people who are not neurotypical and I learned an awful lot from, right. from that. Um, a lot of times, uh, if pe if people are coming across wrong to you, it might be more about you than about them. Um, yeah. so I just try to keep it, keep on an even keel as best as I can. And, um, try to understand where people are coming from, do my best to put myself in their shoes. Uh, obviously anyone who's been around remodeling for a little while knows that it's, it's an emotional process. You know, people have very strong feelings about their house, yeah. uh, very complicated feelings about their house. They're not, often not really in touch with them. So when they're upset about something, that's just a normal part of my day, I think it's my job to help understand what they're feeling and address it as best I can so that they're not unhappy. Yeah. One of the things that I've thought about a lot is that it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, you know, you could be the president of or CEO of a billion dollar company. Your home is about the only place where nobody tells you what to do, right? It's about the only place yeah. where you have, power, if you will, or control. And then all of a sudden there's somebody in there tearing it apart and you lose control. Mm. And that's the empathy that I've tried to come up with, with my clients is that, that they're out of control. I mean, not, mm -hmm. you know, badly, but they, they don't have control of that process anymore. And I have to feed them information so that they're comfortable that I have control of it. And then able to deal with some, like you said, some of those reactions uh, that you that they have. And I think the respect thing, I mean, I, I, I hope people don't mind us getting on this because I think this is a huge topic. Mm -hmm. But I think disrespect comes out of prejudice. And I'm not not just talking about racial here. I'm talking about a prejudice against people that make a lot of money, mm -hmm. even though that's our bread and butter, a prejudice mm -hmm. against people who... Uh, are more assertive than we are, you know, or something like that. There's just these feelings that we have. And if we don't have control over them, then they come out and, and it I can be that. really, really yeah. bad. <laughs> you know, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. 
I was just going to say it's it's a very great point because I think people that may be uh, have maybe more a more attention to detail. You know, right. they're type A. They're very clean in the way they do yeah. things. It's not the way you do, it. and they're not being difficult. They right. just have a strong attention to detail, and that's the empathy and respect right there. It's just yeah. the respect for who they are, and everybody has things going on in their life. And the, and like you said, Tim, you're taking people out of a regimen. Yeah, and that can be really, uh, you know, hard for people to uh, deal with, as as we know. I think one of the things that really helped me the most was working with folks who grew up around New York, um, near around New York city. Cause for them standing six inches from your face and talking really loudly <laughs> is a very normal conversation. Yes. That was yeah. not aggressive or mean or intimidating. That's just, yeah. and once, once that light bulb clicked, you know, you can, you can work with a lot of people. Yeah, Yeah, I've I've used that illustration a lot of times about personal space Mm -hmm. and that for a lead carpenter, if someone has that more assertive uh, way of communicating, you pretty much have to stand right there. Otherwise, they'll just Mm -hmm. follow you around the room. Yeah, (laughs) and it's uncomfortable, but it's 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 a it's a style. It's not a bad thing. You know, I, I think I think this is such a huge thing for a lead carpenter. You're in somebody's house. You have to respect them as human beings and as different, uh, lots of different ways. I love Steve's comment about just, um, just it's them. It's who they are. And you, you, can't, you can't disrespect them just because they see things differently than you do. So just that's, that's such a fantastic point. And I hope people uh, grab onto that and really use it for training and, and for how they uh, interact with clients. So we got to wrap this thing up. We, we, uh, you know, there's, there's only so much time we can give to the podcast. Maybe we'll come back another time, Doug, and maybe we'll do something on your research end instead of about the lead carpenter stuff, but any last little bit. I should interview you too. That's, (laughs) this is the thing I still don't understand is why you're interviewing me about lead carpenter. (laughs) Oh, because you did a presentation on it. You're right. You're right. So any Um, last little bit of advice for somebody who has lead carpenters or is a lead carpenter out there that maybe could just head them in the right direction? Well, I think, uh, I think I'll just go back to uh, what you taught me 30 years ago which is you're the one who knows the most and cares the most about your projects and learning how to get the information you need and the help you need from the people around you, whether they're officially above you or below you on the management chart is going to be the key to succeeding. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Doug. I know you're busy. I appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your schedule and we will talk uh, privately about maybe doing something else a little bit more on some of the things that I know you do like lean and things like that, that you've done a lot of research in got to get you back on as an expert in some of that area. So thank you so much. Thank you. you, All right. Nice to see you guys. Well, Tim, this is obviously filled with a lot of information. Um, Give me some of the things that you've taken away here. Oh, I don't know. I guess I just have to stop with my little ranting and raving there and start with my little ranting and raving there at the end. I thought Doug's insight into respect and empathy as a way of talking about the client relationship 
is really spectacular because you can you know, like, like, what's the problem? It's communication. It's this, it's this, it's this. And yet I think those two words just for me, I can look, I can think back on those clients that, you know, I didn't have that greater relationship with and I can nail it on the respect and the empathy. I, I think, and I can kind of blow it off on some other things. So I think that was a really incredible uh, insight uh, just from a general human you know, standpoint. Yeah, and we hear it so much, the, the difficult clients, difficult clients. But again, yes. it's, it's how they're approached and how you view it, right? Are they a difficult client or is their personality? Maybe it's cultural difference. You know, how they communicate with people is a big deal. Right in different cultures. So like, yeah. you know, if you have, if you, you know, one person may be a stronger personality, it's, it's, they're not a difficult client, right? It's, this is your job to, <laughs> to, right. put, you know, build this um, in, inside the house. And I guess it can't be overstated the fact that you are in someone's home. Right. right. Someone's home. That, that is first and foremost. So, so I think it too, I to think sometimes, sometimes people become more, assertive when we're, I don't know what, what a good word, maybe we're hiding from them emotionally. Like we're, we're kind of running. We're, we're afraid that they're going to yeah, be assertive. And so yeah. They feel like they have to be assertive in order to get our attention. And then we're, we're running from them. And then all of a sudden, it, like Doug said, maybe somebody's yelling and there's no need for that. There's no, mm-hmm. no need for that on the job site. Just going back to, I love the signs. I, I, you know, I wish this was a little more visual because in the seminar, Doug showed some pictures of the signs, and I just thought, this is this is a brainstorm. This is something. Again, he's asking, like, why do I have him on? Because he's taking it to a little different level than what I would have said to everybody. I've always said, have a job sign inside that has the rules of the job. Okay, but what about those? You know, approaching the job. And the, the signs, and I just think they've done a great job with that. And, and like I said in the, in the interview, I think part of it is alerting the client to the fact that you care. This is, again, it's about managing the job, but it's also about letting the client know that you're paying attention to what some of their concerns are some of their needs. Yeah. And you may be paying attention at the beginning of the job, but is that translated throughout? And Tim, I say that because I once chased a dog a mile and a half from a project, <laughs> got the dog and had to be picked up. It was not told to the entire crew that you couldn't open the uh, laundry door. So yeah, that, yeah. yeah, I have way too many pet stories yeah, yeah. from all these seminars. Somebody will tell a crazy story about pets. My general reaction to it is you don't take responsibility for the pet. You, you let the client take responsibility for the pets. But I think there's just this whole thing about the, the scheduling and the organization of the job, just so many cool things in here. I hope people will appreciate uh, what they've done there at BOA using, you know, again, they're not technically calling it the lead carpenter system, but they're using some of those principles there. And I think, like I said, I think taking some of it a little further. And like I've told so many people, I learn something every time we do one of these uh, podcasts and I love, love learning. This has been a really fantastic show. We want to thank Doug Horgan for joining us today. We always want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Tim Fowler show. And remember at the Tim Fowler show, 
We are working tirelessly to eliminate it is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com slash consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.